Hey, it is so good uh, to be together as God's family uh, this morning, and uh, we just want you to know that uh, if you're new or if you've been away for a while and you're coming back, uh, it's just so good uh, to have you here. We are so glad uh, to have you here, uh, a part of our family, and we pray that you feel uh, loved and encouraged. We love new people uh, at Hope. Uh, we love it. And so today, uh, if you're just getting caught up, if it's your first time here, uh, we are in week two of a brand new sermon series on the gospel uh, of John. As you can see, the, these banners on either side of the stage area uh, this morning with these words, uh, speaking a lot about who Jesus is. All of these words, all of these phrases are from the gospel of John, where we're going to be uh, these next few weeks during uh, these, uh, these weeks of Lent, these six weeks called Lent. And if you're new to the church and if this is a new thing for you, Lent is this 40 days minus Sundays uh, that lead us up to Easter that began last uh, a couple weeks ago with Ash Wednesday uh, and culminates on April 8th with the resurrection of our Lord, which is pretty exciting. Easter is pretty good. Amen? Amen? Easter is pretty exciting. Amen? Okay. I was going to say, if we're not excited about that, I got to preach a different sermon today. So, um, but these, these banners have different words on them. A lot of them are different words and phrases that are names for who Jesus is which is really the point of the Gospel of John. So if you've got that in front of you, I invite you to, to, to have your Bibles open today. That's, that's John's heart. That's the entire point uh, of this Gospel. Because from start to finish, John's number one desire is that you would come to know the person of Jesus. Maybe for the first time, or maybe deeper than you ever have. And in fact, we want you to know that that is our heart for you as well. So, can I let you behind the scenes a little bit here at Hope Des Moines? Just, just you. I'm not going to tell the 11 o'clock crowd. Just, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just, uh, I want to be 110% honest uh, with you this morning. Uh, kind of let you in behind the scenes. We don't really have a scenes to be behind. We have a curtain, and that's pretty exciting, and that's covering up the PTA sign so we don't worship the PTA. Um, that's kind of the deal there, or the American flag uh, for that matter. But, um, we, I guess here's what I want to say. Whether this is your first time here or whether this is your a thousandth time, a thousand, I always have a hard time saying that. Whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, that's easier to say. Uh, here, we want you to know that our number one desire, more than anything else, more than anything else we do, is that you would fall more and more in love with the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. That's, that's what it's all about. We want to have uh, awesome uh, praise and worship, which we do, and we want to have a, a nice and clean uh, setup for you, and, and we want to make sure that the, the coffee isn't like really bad tasting church basement coffee uh, for you, and uh, we want to make sure this morning that you get the, the information you need about events, and that you get connected, and that maybe even you join a life group, but all of that Everything else is secondary if we're not lifting up the person of Jesus Christ and having him be center stage. That's what all of this is about. And in fact, that's one of our top values here. One of our core values here at Hope. The very top one is this. Jesus is life. The rest is just details, right? Jesus is life. The rest is just details. That's John's heart in his gospel. That's our heart. Jesus is life. The rest is just details. So just so we make sure we got that, let's just do a little call and response here. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. You do the second part. Yeah, yeah. 
Repeat after me. The rest is just details. So Jesus' life. Jesus' life. <laughs> life. Okay, we got it. We got number one. We'll work on the rest another week. But uh, the rest is just details. We... Man, we really believe that he's the real deal, you know? Like, it, the Gospel of John is just is screaming at us. He's not just a good guy. He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords, and he's worthy of all our praise and all our worship. He's, he's worthy of all the hype and all the glory that we could ever offer him. That's why our worship is so important. Do you know we're not just singing songs, Right? I don't know what your experience with worship has been, if you've just kind of been a go-through-the-motions kind of person. That's why we do what we do. This is not the opening act to the sermon, okay? Because I'm not that good, and God's just that great, okay? So when we worship, it's all about him. It's about you connecting with him, right? Some Sunday, we might just worship. Because more important than you hearing from me is you hearing from God, right? So that's our number one desire, and it turns out that's the exact same conclusion that the Apostle Peter comes to in our scripture when he looks at Jesus today and he says, Jesus, where else would we go? You're it. You're, you're the real deal. There's, there's nothing greater than knowing you. And yet, believe it or not, that's not what everybody thought. That's not what everybody believed. Not everybody agreed on that. And so today, we're going to find out why. And we want you to know this Jesus in an even deeper way. So John chapter 6, if you're not there already, John chapter 6. And we're going to start right at the beginning. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're new to the Bible, I don't want to assume. We're glad that you're here. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the last Gospel. And so it's going to be towards the back half uh, of your Bible. These four Gospels are the story of Jesus' life. So we're in the Gospel of John. And it turns out that this, this chapter, chapter 6, is actually one of the most diverse but important chapters in the Gospel of John. There's so much is packed into these few pages. So when we, when we look at the beginning of the chapter, it starts out with the feeding of the 5,000, right? Do you, you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? It's one of the more familiar stories, more familiar than even our story today. So Jesus is, is pretty early on in his ministry, and he's beginning to gain some popularity. He's starting to gain some followers. I mean, how many rabbis, Jesus was a rabbi, a religious teacher and leader, how many rabbis uh, did you hear about walking around the countryside that have 5,000 people following him, right? Right? We read about that in the story. And Jesus feeds the 5,000, which they just counted the men in that day. So add in women and children, it's probably more like seven, eight, nine thousand. 9,000. Right? We don't know. But a huge crowd. Right? Jesus is becoming a celebrity. And even before a majority of his miracles, Jesus is, he's a popular guy. And so his fame was about to get a whole lot bigger. I mean, you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes, there's this boy in the crowd, and uh, he's like, oh, here's my sack lunch. I don't know what you can do with that. And Jesus says, oh, good, it's Lunchables. And so he takes that, uh, not really, and he's, there's five loaves in there, bread, and there's two fish, and, and all of a sudden, He's handing it out, and the disciples are handing it out. There's enough food for everybody. There's 12 baskets left over, right? These people are out in the middle of nowhere. There's no grocery store. There's no restaurant. There's not even a come and go, believe it or not. There's just nowhere. It wasn't Iowa, right? So there wasn't a come and go around there. But um, they're, they're starving, and all of a sudden, there's enough food for everybody, 
right? Jesus' career has really taken off here, right? Thousands of people just witnessed this incredible miracle. And so we skip on down to verse 14. John chapter 6, verse 14. And so he's speaking about this miracle. It says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, and let's read this together on the screen. And, and I don't want to just read it. Let's say it with some gusto, with some enthusiasm, okay? So this is what the people said in response to the miracle. Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting, right? And you can just feel the buzz and the energy. It sounds like they're sold, all right? They're sold out. For Jesus, I mean, you can just hear, hear the buzz and the chatter. Like, did you hear what Jesus did? Did you hear about that? Did you see it? It was amazing. Did you hear? Did you hear? This guy is amazing. He's, he's passing out all this food. And it's like, boom, it was a little, little lunch, and now it's everything. And you, and you can just hear the buzz. Or as we might say when a great sports celebrity does something great or makes the winning shot, and the crowd goes wild, wild right? And the crowd goes wild. It would be safe to say... That after this miracle in, in front of thousands of people, Jesus had quite the fan base. But isn't that still true today? I mean, when, when you think about it, think about uh, uh, arts and entertainment and celebrities. And uh, somebody goes from being, one day, they're this obscure teenager or an unknown artist or athlete to all of a sudden... They're a millionaire or a billionaire, and they're known around the world, and they have a million people following them on Twitter and Facebook, and all of a sudden, it just, it just it blows up. It's the buzz, right? One day, they're a nobody. The next day, they're a celebrity. It's one fan telling another, another person telling another until it's on the national media, and everybody's heard about. I mean, this happens all the time in sports. I was trying to think of like something local here. Are there any Drake fans? Any Drake fans? I know we got some Drake students. One Drake fan. Okay, what are you fans of? Any Iowa State fans? Gosh, every illustration's about the Cyclones. La di da di da. Hawkeyes. <sighs> okay, we got a few Hawkeye fans. Okay, good. Since we're in Des Moines, I'm going to use Drake. Okay, everybody know Drake, local university. Okay. okay, so how many people are really, 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 really pumped about the Drake men's basketball team today? <laughs> Three of you. Exactly. That's what I thought. Now, I don't know how many of you are sports fans or even basketball fans, but that's where my mind goes. But so you remember a few years ago when they were like almost undefeated and they won the whole Missouri Valley tournament and they went to the NCAA tournament? How many people were excited about Drake basketball then? Do you remember that? Yeah, quite a few, right? More like the whole city was excited, right? Everybody was glued to the TV, right? It was, it, was, it was really, really exciting. And there's a fancy name for that in the sports world. And we call that jumping on the bandwagon, right? See, you all know it. Jumping on the bandwagon. Because it's easy to be a fan when everything's going right. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to be a Drake fan when they're winning. It's, it's easy to be an Iowa State fan when they're winning. It's easy to be an Iowa fan because they win all the time, right? It's, just, it's, it's easy, right? But if you're not really a fan, then you jump on the bandwagon. But sooner than later, you start getting some real flack from, from the real fans. Like, you know, there's a, a, a Drake fan that's like, man, I've been a Drake fan my whole life, right? And all of a sudden, all these people are Drake fans all of a sudden. And they say, oh, you're just a bandwagon fan. Why do they say that? Why do they say that, right? They're going, really? Like, is your heart really in it? 
Are you, are you, are you really a Drake fan or are you just kind of jumping on because everybody else is? And the same is true for our celebrity of the hour today. Next verse, verse 15. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills to be by himself, right? Jesus is winning. He's winning championships. In other words, he's doing miracles. And nobody's ever seen anything like this. So you would think Jesus would just say, yes, aren't I amazing? I'm awesome. Everybody come to me, right? I mean, he's God after all, right? He can be cocky if he wants he slipped away into the hills by himself. What, what is Jesus thinking? Now, why would he do that? I mean, isn't, isn't he the one that, that everybody's been waiting for to be made king and, and to have thousands of fans? Well, maybe there's something else that Jesus wants instead of a huge fan base. And for that, we turn to verse 24. So later on in verse 24, we keep going down the story. And we read, They got in the boats, meaning the crowd, they got in the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him, a.k.a. the paparazzi, the news teams, and all the groupies, right? <laughs> Are following Jesus, right? He left so he could get away from the crowds. And what happens? The crowds follow him. Verse 25, They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? If I'm Jesus, I'm saying, just leave me alone. Can a guy get some space, right? I'm tired. I just fed 8,000 people, right? But that's not what he does. Verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Busted, right? <laughs> He's on to him. Jesus, like, reads right through their motivation. Jesus says, I know that you're here because I can do all these miracles. But do you know my heart behind him? I mean, do, you, do you know what's really going on? But the groupies keep going. Verse 30, they answered, Jesus, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? <laughs> right? I can just imagine, right? Keep the magic going, Jesus. Entertain us, Jesus. <sighs> so what's the one thing that you probably shouldn't do if you want to be really, really popular and have everyone like you? What should you not say? How about this? Verse 51. Okay, groupies. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Right? You can just imagine like crickets, right? You know, when you're like in a big room or at a big event and something happens and then there's just that awkward silence. Anyone ever experienced an awkward silence, right? I think that's what happened here. Because the groupies and all the crowds are like, what? Jesus, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Now, now, what happened to the good old fun-loving Jesus that was like feeding us and healing people and doing all his magic, magic tricks? What happened to that Jesus? Now all of a sudden he says, 
in order to find life, we have to eat his body and drink his blood? Is he like telling us to be cannibals or something? Like what, what in the world? What kind of celebrity says that? Well, maybe someone that wants followers, not fans. Maybe somebody that wants followers, not fans, who wants your trust more than he wants your applause. Are you a fan or a follower today? Are you a fan or a follower? It turns out there's a big difference because watch what happens. Skip down to verse 66. They, they have this dialogue and they're arguing back and forth to Jesus and this is the result, verse 66. At this point... Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And Jesus' career just went, or so we think. Now, do you imagine that when it says, and many of his disciples deserted him, you think like there's a crowd of like eight or 9,000 people. Do you think he was like four or five people that left, or 10 or 12, maybe 20, 30, right? No, it says many deserted him, right? Many deserted him, so much so that the only people that Jesus has left to turn to are his buddies, are the 12, right? And so look at the next verse, verse 67. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, uh, so you guys going to leave too? This is really, really hard teaching. So are you guys going to take off too? And and so I was thinking, what, what would the impact be today if Jesus go, went, all of a sudden went from being the guy that everybody loved to being the guy that spoke truth, whether it rubbed people the wrong way or not? What, what would happen in the media? What would, happen in, what would happen in social networking, right? If Jesus went from being, having this huge fan base as a celebrity to saying things that nobody really wanted to hear. What would happen, per se, on Jesus' profile? Let's take a look. All I can say is true dat, right? True dat. Did anybody see an Opie Taylor sighting in there? Who knew that the little boy with the five loaves and two fishes was from the Andy Griffith show? I, it, it's Opie Taylor, there he was, all along. Maybe it didn't happen exactly like that, and Matthew is not Matthew McConaughey. Ladies, I'm sorry, that's not what he looked like. But there's a question at the end there. Are you a fan or a follower? Right? And no, I'm not just talking about Facebook. Are you a fan or follower? Are you a bandwagon fan like the crowds that day, or will you follow him? Will you take time to get to know his heart, or will you just settle for the benefits of knowing him? You see, this is the exact same Jesus as just a few months earlier found these 12 guys, most of them on the beach as these ordinary fishermen, and he says, come follow me. Follow me. Not friend me. Not be a fan of me. Follow me, and I will teach you to fish for people. And so it says they dropped their nets immediately and follow him before anybody else knew him. Jesus wasn't popular yet. He wasn't a great rabbi. He hadn't done any of his great magic tricks yet. And he says, follow me. And they, they followed him. They followed him. Not fans, not admirers, but followers. 
But think about it for a second. Just think about your own life for a second. It's really easy to admire Jesus, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't admire Jesus? Even those people in, in, that you know in your life that maybe don't believe in God, that don't believe the same things that we do, they probably still think Jesus is a pretty good guy, right? See, the problem is most people don't have an issue with Jesus. They have an issue with the church, right? The whole hypocrisy thing, right? And that's a topic for another day. But most people don't have an issue with Jesus, right? I mean, what's not to like? The guy loved the unlovable. He forgave his enemies. He, he cared about the poor, right? How can you disagree with that, right? Jesus was the good guy. What's not to admire? And so it's easy for us to gather on a day like this and to sing worship songs and to come in, shake hands and give high fives and be really, really excited about Jesus, to be a fan of Jesus. It's really, really excited, uh, easy to do that here. And it's easy for us to sing songs. It's easy for us to even take a class or do a Bible study about him. That's easy. But you know what's hard? Following him. <laughs> Living like he lived. And now Jesus is not making it difficult to follow him on purpose. I mean, Jesus even says, follow me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, Jesus says, my grace is free and my love is free and my peace, it's all free. And I'm holding it out for you today. The offer to you today is life. It's all free. I've, I've made it as easy as possible. I died for you <laughs> so that you could just accept that gift. What's hard is when all the crowds leave. What's hard is when all the buzz is gone. That's a bit harder. It's hard when following is no longer the cool thing to do. It's harder when all your friends and all your coworkers are going the other way. Following is hard when the culture is just screaming out to you, no! You're missing out, right? You're missing out. Do, you have to do things the way that you see on TV. You have to do things the way that you see things done on the movies. Just settle for that quick fix. Settle for that instant gratification. That's a bit harder. Following is a bit harder when this Jesus doesn't give you everything that you want. He's not Santa Claus. And that's hard for some of us. Following becomes a bit harder when he actually calls you to sacrifice your comfort for the sake of others. And when I think, I think of it, I think for some of us, we, we'd rather just be admirers of Jesus than followers. And I was thinking about that, that this week, and I think it might be, well, I don't know what it is for you, but I, I think for a lot of us, we're, we're afraid to kind of take that next step in our faith to move from fans of Jesus to just kind of go through the motions of the religious Christianity thing. We're afraid to take that next step to be followers because I think we're really, really afraid he might just ask us to do something we don't want to do. So I'm just going to keep a safe distance from this Jesus, which is exactly what happened to the crowd that day. And the crowd left. <laughs> and Jesus turns to his disciples, are you guys going to leave me too? 
Jesus is not purposely being offensive. He's not purposely setting the bar so high that nobody could attain it. Jesus is telling the truth, which is a rare thing in our culture today, believe it or not. Jesus is giving people the truth. How do you react in your life when somebody tells you what you need to hear instead of just what you want to hear? Even if it stings a little bit. Do you have those kind of people in your life? I was reading a, a book by a pastor named Francis Chan, and uh, I've heard him talk a few times, and it, it was really convicting, and he, he was the pastor of this church in Simi Valley, uh, California, and he realized that one day that they were they weren't really calling people to follow Jesus. And he started, they, they started to preach these things what everybody wanted to hear instead of the truth, the hard truth sometimes, because not everything in the Bible is easy. kind of rubs you the wrong way sometimes. And so they weren't preaching the truth. They were just preaching what everybody wanted to hear, whatever made people happy, whatever made his church grow. And so one day he just came to this conclusion. He just had this thought, this, this deep, burning conviction in his heart. It just popped up and he thought to himself, you know, if Jesus had a church in Simi Valley, I bet mine would be bigger. Because I don't call my people to the same things that Jesus calls people to. Think about that for a second. This is not rainbows and puppies Christianity, right? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes Jesus' truth comes and it just collides with our lives. And we have to make that decision. What are we going to do with it? What, what do you do with that? Believe it or not, Jesus' primary reason for coming to this earth wasn't to make us comfortable or, or rich or happy. He came to set you free. <laughs> he came to set you free from all those other places that you've been running to that are just not going to satisfy. And he's, he's pointing us to himself to find life. But as it turns out, Jesus didn't exactly fit the mold of the crowd that day. There's a lot of bandwagon fans, as we discover. People that refuse to come to him to have life. And I think there's two main reasons that I just want to walk through with you this morning. There's two main reasons that there's bandwagon fans of Jesus. And I believe these are the same reasons that we have today. First of all, Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. Jesus wasn't the Messiah they wanted. Remember what Jesus says. Look at verse 38. Jesus says this. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. Now, to us, that seems like a pretty innocent statement. But you have to understand that the crowds that are, that are uh, who the crowds are that, that he's talking to. For, for these hundreds and thousands of years, these good, God-fearing Jews have been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for a king. And all the prophets and all the, 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 the promises and all their hopes and dreams are pinned on this Messiah that would come. And they thought he'd be this great king who would ride in with a great army and destroy the Romans and demolish their kingdom and, and set up God's people, the Jews, as the dominant all-encompassing nation once again. That was their image of the Messiah, that they would be this great superpower and they would rule with power and force with this great king. And then 
onto the scene walks a short, bearded carpenter's son from Nazareth who's been living in obscurity for the last 30 years. And he says, oh no, actually the way that we're going to change the world is love and serving the least of these. That's, that's the kind of king that I am. Not even close to, to fitting the part. Not even close to fitting it. And on top of it, he says things like this. Verse 44. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And the last day I will raise them up. So Jesus looks at the crowds and is basically saying, I know, not only are you disappointed with who I am, but now I'm basically telling you that unless you come to me to have life, everything that you've been doing for hundreds and thousands of years that you think makes you good enough, it doesn't matter. Throw it all away. Jesus wasn't the version of the king that they wanted. The Jews had created this box, this version of a king that they wanted Jesus to be. And when Jesus didn't fit inside their box, they left. And I wonder if we do the exact same thing today. What kind of a box do you want your Jesus to fit in today? Maybe for you, if Jesus could just stay... Just stay as a good teacher. That's what I want my Jesus to be. It's just, uh, that would be better for you. I mean, you might say Jesus was a really smart guy and agreed with everything he said, but, but all that stuff that Jesus said about like serving the poor and forgiving people that hurt me and, and, and uh, you know, taking time out of my busy schedule to actually get to know my neighbors so I can love them really well. It, Jesus didn't really mean to actually do that stuff, did he? Eh, wrong. Not so with you, says Jesus. I don't want to just be your teacher. I want to be your Lord, who you can trust with everything, including your possessions and your time, even your reputation. Do you trust me with your reputation? Don't get stuck in a box. Or maybe the box that you'd like Jesus to be in is your Sunday box. This is, this is a fun one. There's a lot of people get stuck in this one. Jesus, you're in my Sunday box. I have my rest of the week box, but I have my church box over here. And Jesus is kind of a good weekend thing to do. And, you know, we come and we kind of get dressed up and we bring the family together and we get our coffee and, and our bulletin and we sit and we kind of do that thing. But then once church is done, then it's back to real life, Right? The rest of the week. Because Jesus couldn't possibly have anything to do with my marriage. Jesus couldn't possibly have anything to do with my dating life. Because he's in the Sunday box. Jesus couldn't have anything to do with my, my finances that I'm struggling with. Jesus couldn't have anything to do with the issues I'm having with my coworkers. Because he's in the Sunday box over there. But it doesn't work because Jesus says, I'll never fit. <laughs> I wasn't created to be there. I am your life. I am your life. I'm not, I'm not just a part of your life. So why such a small box? I'm not, he's never going to fit. Are you a fan or a follower? So the crowds left, first of all, because Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. He didn't fit in their box, but that wasn't the only reason. The second reason, I think people jumped off the Jesus bandwagon that day. And this is a tough one. I think it's because the good news was too good to be true. Or at least they thought it was. You see, the entire Jewish religion was based on obedience. 
based on your goodness and, and, and based on how many of the hundreds of the laws of the Old Testament that you could keep. Based on, it was based on how holy you could look on the outside. That's what their entire life, their entire religion was based on. And Jesus comes along and says this. Look at verse 63. In fact, let's read this together uh, up on the screens. Jesus comes along to that religion and says this. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus says, stop it. (laughs) Cease. (laughs) You can stop all of your fancy religious activity because it doesn't mean squat. If your heart's not in it, if it's not real to you, you think by all these things that you do on the outside, by the fancy prayers you pray, and how many times you wash your hands, and how dressed up you get, and if you say the right things in your prayers, that's going to make me love you. That's going to set you right with me. And Jesus says, human effort accomplishes nothing. He turns their world upside down. Jesus says, can you trust in me rather than your ability to be good enough? And I just wonder today, just let this let soak in for a second. Maybe what's keeping some of you from becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ today is that you're so busy living for God instead of just being with him. You're so busy trying to get him to love you instead of trusting that he already does. What the crowd couldn't accept that day is that there's nothing to prove. There's nothing to earn anymore. You don't have to go climbing up the ladder of goodness anymore, Jesus says, because I've already come down the ladder to you. And I wonder, I wonder if the very thing that's keeping you from the life in Christ that you were created for today is that inside every single one of us, there is still a scared little boy or little girl that still thinks they have to win the approval of their father. And maybe your earthly father, if he's still living or not, but more importantly, your heavenly father. And that's how you've lived your entire Christian life as this little boy or this little girl that's never really grown up and that's living like an orphan instead of an adopted son or daughter. So I have to do all these things to get God to love me. That if, and and it, it doesn't change when we become adults. If I, if I just get this degree or if I get my business successful or if I have a perfect marriage or if I, if I make, sure all that my, make sure all my kids get good grades and succeed, if I, or maybe if I just get a little bit more consistent with my Bible study and, and, and maybe if I just figure out this prayer life thing, then I'll be okay. Th- then I'm sure God will be happy with me. To which Jesus says, you can't earn what you already have. You're my son. You're my daughter, and I love you right where you are today, even if your business is struggling, even if your marriage is struggling, even if your kids aren't perfect because they're never going to be, even if your house is a disaster today. I love you. I love you. And so Jesus says, will you let me walk 
with you. Following is about trust, not perfection. Maybe Jesus wants to, wants to redefine for you what being a disciple is all about. And so when the crowds had all left, we get to the end of the story. And there's the 12. And Jesus asks, well, I'm not exactly the hot ticket item anymore. I know I'm not saying what you want to hear, so what about all you? And the disciples are faced with choice, a choice to be fans or followers. And so who else speaks up than old big mouth Pete, right? We know Peter from uh, other stories in the Gospels. He is notorious for just blurting stuff out and saying, well, I'm just saying what everybody's thinking, right? That's Simon Peter, good old big mouth Pete. But this time, Jesus uses big mouth Pete to say one of the most beautiful lines in all of scripture. Verse 68, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, how exactly did Peter come to this point? Now, we could look at that passage right there very literally and say, Peter's actually saying, Jesus, literally, where else are we going to go? If you remember Peter and James and John and some of the other guys, they're fishermen, right? Their life was pretty much a dead end, right? Fisherman is not exactly a glamorous job. And so they're saying, Jesus, literally, remember when we left our nets? We left everything to follow you. Meaning, Jesus, we're homeless. <laughs> Meaning, Jesus, we are jobless. We are unemployed, right? Our, our kind of gig right now is like following you. That's kind of what we're doing. And so the only thing we've got on our resume is that we followed a rabbi around the countryside for three years, right? It's not exactly going to get you a six-figure job. Jesus, we're homeless, we're unemployed. Literally, Peter says, where are we going to go? We're kind of staking our entire reputations on you. Could be that, but I wonder if it's something deeper. What if Peter just finally had the guts to say what everyone else was thinking? Jesus, we're home. I mean, Jesus, this path, it isn't easy, but... I I'm just speaking from experience. I've never experienced anything like you. Jesus, I've never been loved like you've loved me. Jesus, I've never been forgiven of things that I thought I could never be forgiven for. Jesus, there's, there's never been anyone like you that can speak with a level of depth into my soul like you can. And Jesus, to be honest, if you knew who I was, if you knew the kind of person I was before I met you, my life was over. But then I met you that one day at the sea and on the beach and everything changed. Jesus, it's not, it's not just a religious thing or a Sunday thing for us anymore. This is, this is what we were created for, Jesus. This is, this is what I was created to do. And so my question for you is, is that the... Christianity that you've discovered today? Is it time to move from being a fan to a follower? And that was the question that stood before another group of followers. During the Civil War, Colonel Robert Shaw, if any of you have seen the movie Glory, is standing before the first black 
company in American war history. And that day he has to deliver to them a really hard truth. Not the truth they want to hear, but the truth they need to hear. And so Colonel Shaw, just like Jesus with the crowds that day, speaks the hard truth. And then watch what happens. Watch what happens when people find something worth following. Let's take a look. Where else are we going to go, Colonel Shaw? (laughs) Where else are we going to go, Jesus? Because we found something worth giving our very lives to. Are you a fan or a follower? 